Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, it's David Mathis from DesiringGod.org, as well as Cities Church and Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minnesota. He returned to the Meeting House for a discussion that centers on his book about the life of Jesus and the final events of his earthly life exploring how we can allow our reflection of these instances to help us grow in the Lord. Some of his comments are ahead. Then you'll be hearing from Johnny Moore of the Congress of Christian Leaders and well-known religious freedom advocate who has co-authored a book inspired by Fox's Book of Martyrs, identifying people in groups who have faced persecution for their faith. And on this edition of The Intersection, Lead singer of 10th Avenue North, Mike Donahue, joined me recently to discuss how Christians can learn to disagree in an appropriate manner, including communicating truth with love, as Ephesians 4 directs. Some of his comments based on his latest book are coming up. Finally, it's Jason Yates of My Faith Votes, who examines two recent news stories, one involving a Christian teacher in California who lost her job because she would not follow the LGBTQ agenda in her work, as well as a court case in which the personhood of an unborn child was upheld in a murder case in Massachusetts. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. David Mathis is senior teacher and executive editor at DesiringGod.org, a pastor at Cities Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, and an adjunct professor at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis. He leads readers through the events of Holy Week and their implications as part of a book called Rich Wounds, The Countless Treasures of the Life, Death, and Triumph of Jesus. From a recent Meeting House conversation, this is David Mathis. In particular, uh, I wanted a devotional that any time of the year would help readers know Jesus more, get Him right, and enjoy Him. I I want the, the readers... Christian relationship with Jesus to be enhanced with right biblical knowledge and with a true heartfelt joy. So that, that, that's the goal in it. And I, I wanted it to be relevant for any time of the year. And yet I wanted to have a kind of special anchor in the spring season, the Lent season, in particular, Holy Week. So personally, I, I was raised in the church. I remember as a kid having palm branches on Palm Sunday yes. morning. I remember going to services like a, a Lord's Supper service on Maundy Thursday, even if I didn't know the name Maundy Thursday. I remember a Good Friday, a midday service on Good Friday, where uh, one of the great old gentlemen of the church would always sing this song, I Walk Today Where Jesus Walked. And then, of course, Easter as a kid growing up in a Christian home was triumphant. It was bright. It was wonderful. And as I got older, I came to appreciate really intentionally walking through that week especially. Now, I love Advent leading up to Christmas. Uh, I personally don't make a big deal of the entirety of the Lent season. So Lent is typically 46 days. That's a long season. Advent is usually more around 22 to 27 days. That's that's about the right time. Holy Week is eight focused days leading up to Easter, and it's just glorious. To begin with Palm Sunday, and then to go through, we just put the word holy on them, Holy Monday, Holy Tuesday, Wednesday is has been traditionally called Spy Wednesday. That's the day when when Judas makes the switch, when he takes the money, when he conspires against Jesus. Uh, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday. 
And so what I wanted to do in this book is make the last eight chapters to be a kind of step-by-step or day-by-day devotional in the life of Jesus from the great entrance in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to his death on Good Friday, that waiting on that long Saturday, and then the triumph of Easter Sunday. And so that's what I do in the last eight chapters here. It's it's eight chapters going through Holy Week. And so I do hope that readers would walk with me and more important, walk with Jesus through those last eight days, any time of the year, but leading up to Easter next week it's, is an especially good time to do so. What would you intend for this book, Rich Wounds, to really do in order to perhaps help listeners, those who would interact with this book, to really gain a greater appreciation and, and marvel at That's the right. amazing events that, that took place during Holy Week that we'll be observing here soon? That's right, Bob. I, I would say, I mean, what you said there with Marvel and just say to Marvel with the Marvel of worship. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, maybe your home church makes a makes much of Holy Week and there's, you know, a mention of Palm Sunday and there's a Monday Thursday service or a Good Friday service, or maybe not. And this is just an opportunity for a fresh devotional emphasis. You know, uh, when we take time in our lives and, and we break it up into little seasons for a particular focus, that can really help us in the strengthening of our hearts and taking up some new fresh course of study or growth. And so this is an opportunity for an eight-day focus. You might say, let me just read the second half of one of the four Gospels. Just take one of the four Gospels and say, 2023, I'm going to focus on Holy Week and Mark's Gospel or John's Gospel. Or, and I sure hope for those who would read these eight chapters in the book, I've got with each one a particular passage of scripture mm. to meditate on. And that that's what I would hope that readers would do is in the end to come to scripture and to not just read scripture like we read screens and everything else in our fast paced modern life, but maybe to take out a paper Bible and have just a little section and say, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to enjoy this text. I'm not going to hurry I might read it four or five times, and I want to milk what I can with God's help to strengthen and feed my soul in this amazing passage mm. of Scripture I have about my Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's what I would hope, is that fresh marveling of worship in an unhurried meditation over Scripture in the season. David Mathis here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to DesiringGod.org. Well, I had the opportunity recently to talk with Johnny Moore. He serves as the president of the Congress of Christian Leaders. He is the co-author of a new book called The New Book of Christian Martyrs, The Heroes of Our Faith from the 1st to the 21st Century. It's inspired by Fox's Book of Martyrs. From a recent Meeting House conversation, here now is religious freedom advocate Johnny Moore. It's inspired by Fox's Book of Martyrs. It includes... Uh, a lot of the stories from Fox's Book of Martyrs, though it's impossible to include all of them because Fox's Book of Martyrs was many, many volumes and it was updated many, many times. But the but the base of the book uh, is that that great great historic Christian text. But we did something different, and and that is that we we updated it. You know, so we include stories from uh, all two thousand years of, of of Christian history. And we brought in other stories because uh, not not just the stories of you know Protestants or evangelicals you know who were who were killed for their faith, but 
look, when ISIS was running around Iraq and Syria, you know, they were just looking for crosses. They, they weren't they weren't saying, is that person an evangelical? Is that person a Catholic or, or whatever? They were just killing people. And so so we, we also very carefully integrated stories all, all through all through history. And uh, it's, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people realize this, Bob, but in early American history, Holmes that had any book at all probably had two books. They had the Bible and they had Fox's Book of Martyrs. And wow. The Bible to tell you how to live and the Fox's Book of Martyrs to show you what it may may cost you. And so we're hoping to reintroduce these stories to a new generation. So tell me just a bit, obviously you have this desire to share these stories and to provide other stories throughout the years. So tell me just a bit about your your motivation. Why did you want to do this? Why is now an important time to to bring this new book of Christian mar- martyrs to a whole new generation of Christians? Well, first of all, the, the sheer scale of people being killed for their faith today uh, is is almost unprecedented in, in history. I mean, it, it's, it's common knowledge, I, I think, now that, you know, more Christians were killed in the last century than in the previous 19th century combined. But I, I'm not sure people understand the amount of Christians that have been killed in the last 20 years, the last, the last 30 years. You know, the, the, the fact, by, by the way, is that, you know, if you're a Christian who's persecuted, imprisoned, or, or losing your life today, um, you're, you're more likely to face those consequences, uh, not, not even from um, Islamic terrorists, Islamic extremists, but, but from communist countries, you know, a, around the world, communist ideologies. And so there, there, are all kinds, there are all kinds of reasons why this book matters now. Uh, but the most important one, in my opinion, is that um, in, this, in this time of like a national awakening with what, what, what we're seeing and, and hearing about in every corner of this, of this country, uh, and all around the world, when people are looking for answers in a, in a time of great, great turbulence, uh, very often in Christian history, what has inspired Christians to live what they say they believe is when they're exposed to those whose belief cost them their their lives. And so, you know, we have the words of many of those Christians. You know, there's, there's, and, and, and in fact, in, in the new book of Christian Martyrs, we, we actually have a letter uh, that was written by a, a young young woman who died uh, in, in Iraq. Um, serving Jesus, and she sealed the letter in an envelope, and she gave it to her pastor, and she said, "Only open this letter uh, if I'm if I'm killed." Like these stories show us um, that our faith isn't just about attending church services; it's, it's far more than that. I wanted to ask you about what you see as perhaps the central message of this book. I think I think it's the message of Jesus. You know that <laughs> that the gospel is just so much more powerful. You know, than we than we realize, and and there's so many of us that struggle to live for a faith that our brothers and sisters are dying for in parts of the world every every single day. And and I don't think you can be a, a disciple Christian unless you're being persecuted yourself, or you're helping and then close to the to the persecuted church. And and this is the gap in our experience in in the West. Uh, you know, for all of our challenges with religious freedom in the United States, and there are real real challenges. Um, you know, this is a this is a wake up call as to what uh, what the little threats can lead to for sure. Mm. But more importantly, um, kind of where our own spiritual hearts are. And I I, I think uh, I think you can have your own spiritual awakening in your own life um, just just by reading a couple, couple of these stories. Comments from Johnny Moore here on the Intersection podcast. You can find him on Twitter at Johnny J O H N N I E M.
This is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. When you arrive at the Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection Podcast as well as the Meeting House program. You'll find links to the Intersection Podcast, to the Media Center, as well as its Apple Podcast feed. Also, there's a link to the Faith Radio YouTube channel where you can watch video of Meeting House guests. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations with guests from the Intersection podcast and the Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app. You can learn more about downloading it for your smartphone or tablet in the programming menu at faithradio.org. Also, you can find conversations in the Faith Radio podcast feed. Look for Faith Radio podcast on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. This is the Intersection Podcast with Christian musical artist and lead singer of the band 10th Avenue North, Mike Donahue. In a recent Meeting House conversation, he shared a Christ-centered approach to handling disagreement as he relates in the book called Grace in the Gray, A More Loving Way to Disagree. Here now from that conversation is Mike Donahue. First of all, we need to be quick to listen. That's what James tells us. And a lot of us are so quick to preach that we never even get to mm. hear where someone is before we ha- know how to respond. But yep. we're already offering an opinion that they're not ready to hear. Secondly, uh, Paul says in Ephesians that the hostility, the walls of hostility that laid between us have been broken down through Christ. That means we still have disagreement, but we ought not have hostility in our disagreement. Well, how do you do that? And that's where I'd go back to Paul's advice to Timothy. He says, correct your opponents, Timothy, but with all gentleness. And then he tells us how. You're like, well, how do you do that? How do you correct, but correct gently? How do you stand up for what's true, but do it in love? How do you do it? He's, keep reading. He says, perhaps God will grant them repentance leading to the truth. And hmm. this is where I think a lot of our hostility and our arguments is unnecessarily uh, incendiary is yep. we forget that we're not the we're not the ones who's going to change someone's heart. Yeah. We're not. We may get used by God to do that, but ultimately perhaps God will grant and I love how he says the word perhaps, like who knows? Maybe God and so when I come into a, a place where I'm speaking the truth, not only have I listened, not only is the hostility out of it, but thirdly I'm trusting that God's the one who's going to do something here. So I don't have to feel like I've got to bury the hatchet in argument. Mm. Well, I go back to the picketing outside of the concert. And you, uh, for one thing, you didn't actually just stay inside the venue and, you know, play your concert and go to the next town. You actually heard they were out there and you went out there and Something that you did, one of the tech, as we might say, the techniques, is that you actually engaged them in conversation and you asked a question. 
And I think, you know, and I, even when Jesus was confronted by those who disagreed with him, his response was to ask questions, to challenge them right. in that way. So, you know, and as it said, that we have two ears and one mouth, and sometimes we get things in reverse and we speak before we actually listen. Because if you listen, you learn, and that gives you more insight as far as how to approach the other person. And this is something I'd love to point out. You know, in my book, Grace in the Gray, I'm trying to teach us how to more lovingly disagree. Mm -hmm. And the way that starts is, how lovingly does God disagree with us? Now, Romans 2, 4 says his kindness leads us to repentance, right? Yeah. It's like, well, how, did, how does that play out? And I always go back to the book of Genesis, because here you got Adam and Eve who just screwed up everything, right? <laughs> yes. And yet, when God comes to them, what does he do? He leads with curiosity and kindness. He says, hey, where are you? Who told you that? Which is so shocking because that sounds so opposite from the voice in my head when I screw up. The voice in my head says, what's wrong with you? What were you thinking? The voice in my head is interrogative. God's voice inquiring the voice in my head like the accuser of the brethren is accusatory mm -hmm. god's voice the comforter is convicting the voice in my head is cruel god's voice is curious and kind and so if that's the way god approaches adam and eve that's the way he approaches me when i screw up where are you who told you that then maybe I can extend that same curiosity and kindness to other people. Mike Donahue here on The Intersection. You can learn more through his website at mikedonahue.com. -E this is The Intersection Podcast with Jason Yates, CEO of My Faith Votes. In a recent Meeting House conversation, he examined two recent news stories, one involving a Christian teacher in California who lost her job because she would not follow the LGBTQ plus agenda in her work, as well as a court case in which the personhood of an unborn child was upheld in a murder case in Massachusetts. These can illustrate the importance of voting in school board and judicial elections. Here now from that recent conversation is Jason Yates. Elections matter, and, and there's outcomes and impacts that um, we are seeing, and it's getting a lot of attention, as you mentioned, Bob, around the country, not just in California, but we're seeing some flashpoints in California, especially, and Jessica Tapia is a victim of this. You know, I see three main issues here. Um, one is what I would just label as child abuse, right? That there's things happening in the schools where people with different agendas um, are doing some things that are uh, not just problematic, but abusive to our kids, allowing our kids to do things to their bodies and to their psyches that we know are not good for them and, and are not aligned with uh, uh, how God created them. And so we must be paying attention to that. The second issue is what Jessica is experiencing here is uh, her religious freedom is being um, 
threatened, uh, you know, her First Amendment right to live out her faith beliefs. And she's saying, hey, I can't lie to these parents. I can't deceive these parents around what's happening uh, with their child and that their child is choosing to use different pronouns and so forth. I can't do that. But yet the school district is not accommodating her religious freedom rights. And last, and Bob, you've been talking about it, it's, it's our need to be involved and to vote. Um, you know, when we don't vote, we're abdicating our responsibility and abdicating that sphere of influence to other people. And it's not just the people we elect, but it's the people they nominate. They nominate a superintendent, the school board does. They nominate and hire librarians. There's so much that that school board has influence and impact on that impact the, our kids and ultimately the parents as well. Plus, where you have the opportunity to speak out about a judge, it's it's important or a series of judges. It's also important that you're you're informed and that you're involved in the process. So if you would address the situation out of Massachusetts, please. Sure. There was um, a case where the, uh, there was a male who killed his girlfriend who was nine months pregnant and he was convicted not only of first degree murder for her, but also for the, uh, the fetus that uh, was nine months along and he was convicted first degree murder there as well because of a law that existed on the Massachusetts books that said that there was personhood granted to this um, fetus. And so what what's really interesting, right, Bob, is that we have a situation where a fetus in one case, being that of this murder in the case of Massachusetts, um, that's identified as a person and therefore, th in this particular case, this person is convicted as for a first degree murder. But yet we have practices like abortion where then that's thrown out the window. Hmm. Um, and we don't treat it as personhood at all. And, and so what's, what we're finding is a really interesting place in our history and in each of our states where we're grappling with this, uh, with this uh, uh, need of defining is a fetus uh, a person or not. A fetus is either worthless and discardable or it's a unique human life worthy of celebration. You can't have it one way in one situation and another in a different situation. Jason Yates of My Faith Votes here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to myfaithvotes.org. Well, we are nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or through the programming menu at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center. That's where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests from the Intersection Podcast and the Meeting House program. 
You can also find links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as its Apple Podcast feed. Plus, you'll find a link to the Faith Radio YouTube channel where you can watch video content with Meeting House guests. Two blogs are accessible from the Meeting House homepage. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can get there through the programming section at faithradio.org. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.